Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast. Your backstage pass to intimate conversations with stars, creators, and industry leaders. On Broadway and beyond. I'm Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking to the Tony-nominated stars of Parade, Michaela Diamond and Ben Platt. Diamond is the young performer who made her Broadway debut as the youngest of three shares in The Share Show, and she's earned her first Tony nomination for lead actress in a musical for only her second show on Broadway. For Platt, of course, this is his second time around with the Tonys, having won for Dear Evan Hansen in 2017. He went on to star in TV shows like Netflix's The Politician and films including The People We Hate at the Wedding, as well as the movie version of Dear Evan Hansen. He and Diamond have found themselves in the awards spotlight for their nuanced work in director Michael Arden's illuminating new production of Parade. A favorite of musical theater aficionados since it premiered in 1998, and now on Broadway in a production nominated for a total of six Tonys, including Best Revival, Parade is a kaleidoscopic look at the trial, imprisonment, and eventual lynching of the Jewish-American man Leo Frank in Georgia in the early 20th century. It's a serious story anchored by the richly emotional performances of Platt as Leo and Diamond as Leo's loyal and resourceful wife, Lucille. Now the two actors are in the virtual studio with me to talk timely themes, Jewish-American visibility, and the advice Platt had for Diamond on keeping sane during the Tony Awards whirlwind. Hi, Michaela and Ben. Thanks for joining me. Hi. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Um, congratulations on your Tony nominations. How, how's <laughs> your... How, how, how you feeling this week? It doesn't get old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah, we, I mean, uh, you know, we, first of all, we feel wonderful together because we still get to come and do the show together every night, which is, which is amazing. And um, for me personally, you know, I've been privileged to have this rodeo once before. And, um, you know, I just feel really, really lucky to be included again. And 
uh, to get to go through the experience with my fiance this time is really wonderful. Um, and also um, to get to uh, be part of a show that is so urgent in terms of like our, our own upbringing as Jews and also just lovers of musical theater, bringing back a piece that we feel like is super worthy to be to be recognized for something of that caliber as a couple of people who love musical theater so much. I just think we both feel really honored in terms of the, the storied kind of Tony name to, to have that be why we're included is really special. Yeah. I feel so similarly and also just really grateful that um, Ben has done this before and is such a grounding presence at the theater. Um, and it's really nice to kind of share it with somebody. And, um, you know, in all of my fears, I'm not necessarily alone or he has gone through them or um, whatever. And at the end of the day, we love the work so much and that's what we get to do every night. Yeah, it occurred to me that, um, Ben, I feel like you were about the same age that Michaela is now that you were going through all this with uh, Dear Evan Hansen. Did you have any advice for her uh, for the, uh, the rodeo, as you called it? <laughs> um not not like hard advice i mean i think i just the, the thing that i i've mentioned this to michaela but the thing that i the only one of the only things i regret about that time is that because it was so you know overwhelming and when when something like that happens no matter what age you are particularly when you're you know 23 it, it's like um it can be very blinding and and you get very caught up in lots of elements of it you know good and bad and i just generally as a person struggle with being present and and not worrying about what's already happened or what's about to happen, but just being in the moment that I'm in. And um, I wish that through that craziness, I'd have been a little bit more like that. And I feel so privileged that I have my my partner with me to keep me very present this time around. And mm -hmm. so, and Michaela has a wonderful partner too, but we're also each other's kind of other partners. And so I, we, I just try to make sure that she's taking in what's happening because it's a lot and it's all a lot of wonderful things all the time at once. Um, and so anything I can do to just keep her where she is, is all I can do. It's great advice, right? <laughs> <laughs> what was that first performance uh, like the night of the Tony nominations? Uh, I I had a kind of emotional experience. I like cried during All the Ways to Time and Vows. And um, I think I just, um, I, t I say this to Ben all the time, but I'm like, I just will never take you for granted. Like, I just think sometimes I forget that um, just how uh, wildly talented he is and, and that we get to play on stage together all the time. Um, so I think it was just a reminder that like people are being moved by this piece that, you know, we kind of put our hearts into every night. And, um, you know, for me, I'm so fulfilled by bows every night. Like I, I think so much of our story is dark and tragic and um, hopefully we leave you with a little bit of hope. And I think that for me, that's part of part of coming back into my own life and moving on with my night is like being able to really receive, receive bows and receive the audience's thanks for our performance. And um, uh, so for me, that was just a highlight of the week was coming back and, and remembering that, Perhaps, yes, Tony nominators voted for us, but also we're affecting just humans on the street every day as well. Yeah. yeah. Well said. I wonder if we could go back a little bit and talk about uh, what your familiarity with this piece was even before uh, you were involved in 
what became this production. You know, it's a show that's been around for 25 years and it is has become a favorite among a lot of musical theater lovers. And I wonder if you could just tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, were you also a lover of it? And like, when and how did you first discover it? I love, always loved Jason Robert Brown. I mean, I've loved mm-hmm. musical theater in general since I was a kid. My family all loves musical theater and certainly in the car, in the car growing up, we were always listening to musicals and Jason Robert Brown was very much in rotation as, as like a, as a classic, um, composer and just just someone to really um just whose work has a lot of depth and is really worth investigation the way that like someone like Sondheim's is and I think and particularly as a Jewish family also we loved a lot of his work he writes really well for Jewish characters and particularly with Parade and I think This Is Not Over Yet is the first song that I as a young young person knew about I didn't know necessarily the scope of the story but I just heard that song which is of course one of the only uh, very, very hopeful, joyful songs in the show. And so I maybe had a bit of a skewed impression of what it was, but I knew that I loved that song. And then when I was in high school, the production from the Donmar Warehouse in London came to the Mark Taper in LA where I grew up and I went and saw it. So I got to see the whole piece. Um, A lot of the changes from which in terms of the content remain in our version. Um, And uh, I just remember being really haunted and fascinated and, and then researching it online afterwards and and very quickly adding Leo Frank to the list of dream roles in my mm-hmm. mind. And um, I always hoped that it would get another moment with or without me because it's such a great, fantastic piece. Um, and then when Michael brought it up, it was like, you know, the, the one of the great reinvigorators, reimaginers of musical theater, in my opinion, of our generation is Michael. So uh, as soon as I, as soon as I knew he'd be the one conceptually behind it, it was like, please, please let me be part of it. Yeah, this is the director, Michael Arden, who uh, directed Once on this Island and other in Spring Awakening and other uh, revivals. Um, Michaela, when, uh, when did you uh, first come across Parade? I also fell in love with the score during high school. Um, I didn't I wasn't ever really able to sing scores like Wicked or um, Funny Girl or Big Belty moments. And so um, I just loved Carolee Carmelo's voice so much. And I remember listening to You Don't Know This Man um, and, you know, thinking about maybe singing it for one of our musical theater classes and because <laughs> I could sing it. Um, and I I just thought it was such a beautiful score. Um, and I also was a big fan of kind of DVRing Tony's videos. And I can just vividly recall watching the Rosie O'Donnell um, all the wasted time that Brent and Carolee did and, and being like, gosh, this is so, um, so beautiful. Like something about the score and these characters coming together all of a sudden created a story I wanted to see the whole of. Mm. Um, and so I just, you know, I can like, I can watch that whole video in my mind at this moment. It's so ingrained in me um, to the point where I had to really kind of take out Carolee and my performance at the beginning Mm. because I, um, uh, she was in my ear so much, but yeah, that's how I first discovered it. And then um, when they asked me to do the reading, I was like, God damn, I felt a little um, uh, impostery and also just young. I had no idea that these real people were, um, you know, Leo and Lucille were early 20s, people married so young back then. And it kind of gives this whole story even more um, tragedy and, and depth to it because they were, you know, in love and trying to figure out who they were when all of this trauma happened to them, um, kind of as as we are in our lives, too. So it was a it was actually um, 
beautiful that I ended up being kind of naive at the beginning of this process in a way. Yeah. And so this was a reading that was affiliated with a roundabout uh, back back then. This was in 2018. And what did you learn about the piece doing it, doing it uh, even for that limited time? What did you learn about your roles in the piece? I, I feel like, it, first of all, it just reminded me what an unbelievable score it is. It's like, you, you know, as a musical theater nerd, you have to know what a jam it is. And you hear, you know, know this man, as Michaela said, at all kinds of showcases and auditions. And you hear this is not over yet occasionally all the ways to time if someone needs a duet but to hear the whole thing and the way it's composed through and the way that every character and type of character has a theme and a journey and the lyrics are subtextual and it's like it's like the the best of the best in terms of what you look for as an actor and a score so it was just a great reminder of that and then for me personally the character i think it rem it it, it well, it just gave me obviously a more intimate look into what it would be like to, to to sustain repeatedly playing the role and what that journey might look like. And also it just showed me the challenge in a great way of how much is left up to the actor in terms of filling in the blanks for Leo, because hmm. he much, it may be sort of like a little bit non-traditionally in terms of like, quote unquote, a hero of a story. He He is a little impressionistic. And also there are moments where you don't get to hear his point of view on on a given event, like at Mary's funeral or and when when his name is going everywhere in the press or you know when 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 his wife is out there fighting for his freedom you know he's he's literally locked up for a lot of the show and so i think it really highlighted for me you know where are the places where i'm going to have to really pack a punch and find the as much texture and kind of you know three dimensionality and color as possible so that the moments that uh, can really count that 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 exist and that's part of the reason i think it's so beautifully written is that for both characters leo and lucille there's nothing extraneous. Like there are no moments for either of them apart or together that are not entirely necessary for their arcs and for them as characters. Mm -hmm. So you're making, you're, you're biting into every last, um, you know, bit that there is um, in, a, in a really great way. It keeps it interesting. Yeah, yeah. Really well said. I think that, um, I think role wise, I was just reminded of the, beauty of the love story being the backdrop of it all um like obviously the the plot is so heavy in a way and yet I wasn't feeling heavy after rehearsal like there's there's so much um there's so much fight there's so much love in especially in the back half of the show um and to be able to play those scenes in that order felt so um fulfilling relieving um, and so I, I just found myself like falling in love with the craft of acting again. Like I was like, <laughs> these scenes are so well written. Like I was like, all of a sudden I was like, you know, analyzing them the same way I did like, you know, South Pacific. Like it was such a, um, joy to kind of sit with the material. Um, because, you know, I think Lucille in particular, like really struggles to see, her husband, her husband's differences from her and, um, and like where she fits in this whole trial. Um, and then once she realizes it's like gangbusters to the end. Um, so I don't know. I think it was just a, it, Michael was really kind of patient with us in a 29 hour reading. You kind of only have time to learn the music and like figure out when you stand and such, but there was such care around the material in a way that, kind of felt ahead of its time and um uh and I 
yeah, I think like what I remember most is like doing that final presentation and like my mom in the front row, like sobbing and, <laughs> and Ben's best friend Beanie being like, this should go somewhere. Like, I don't know, there was just something about the energy of the room that was like, how has this piece not been revived in 20 years? Like there's, it's so, um, it's so impactful and has such different styles of music. It's like literally all you could want from a musical, in my opinion. I'll have more with Michaela and Ben right after the break. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And now here's more with the Tony-nominated actors, Michaela Diamond and Ben Platt. A number of uh, very eventful years passed then uh, between that that initial uh, workshop to uh, the then the encores uh, production, which was sort of the genesis for the Broadway production. How do you feel like how you grew as people and actors uh, has played into the way you're playing this role now? I feel like for me, I um, I like I don't think I would have been able to do it before. I had a little more life moments. Um, I like fell in love and then had to fall out of love. And, you know, I've just like lived kind of um, like the early twenties of life. <laughs> um, I think too, that part of um, reinventing a piece is to figure out like why you're doing it. And the pandemic brought up so many questions about um kind of the unheard voices. And I think in Parade in particular, in 1913, perhaps in 1998, that version, I don't know if, you know, the Black voices in Parade were celebrated as much as they are in our production. I think Michael took so much care in figuring out um, their, uh, their arc and their story within this piece, how it can be shown without even words and just blocking in some ways. Um, and I think that was important to kind of figure out before mounting it again. Um, so I think Michael's kind of reinvention and also just my like lived life experience over the past few years and like figuring out how to love myself first and, you know, the boring shit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I think, yeah, obviously I second everything that Michaela said conceptually about the show. I think per personally, you know, a couple of things, I think in, in terms of my, as a Jew doing this piece, I think I, over the last few years have learned a lot about, and, and then even more so learned in doing it, just about like embracing your, the undeniability of your identity as a Jew and, and the different forms that that can take and how they can all be very valid. And and not shying away from a piece because of its Judaism, but rather embracing it and being, you know, appreciative of the depth that that offers and not having to feel any guilt about my lack of observance or complicated feelings about, you know, elements of the religion, you know, whatever, and just really letting my own identity be enough as a Jew. I think that I'm in a much clearer place about the grayness of that now than I was then. 
And secondly, I think, you know, just as a person, the last experience I had in theater was obviously Dear Evan Hansen. And it was a very wonderful and rewarding experience, but doing something that is so emotionally difficult certainly took a toll and, and took a long time to come back from, I think, to, to sort of going to that um, mental space every night and then kind of revisiting that uh, for the film and sort of going back down that rabbit hole. And the combination of those two things really, really made me feel averse to going into any material that had that kind of challenging um, either sadness or, or, or tragedy or oppression, thing, you know, th things of that nature. And I think because of the pandemic, there is such an, a new appreciation for art in general, of course, but art like that especially, and how there's no replacement for a piece of live theater to, to affect change and to change people's hearts and minds, especially when it comes to pieces that deal with those kinds of things. And so I think rather than feeling afraid of going back into that space for this and dealing with such a difficult story and being someone who has to be, you know, killed every night i think it, it i was excited and and felt lucky to get to dive back into that kind of a world because i felt like i'd I, i'd had the opportunity to miss it and learn to appreciate it um and of course this time i get to have a, re a really wonderful partner in crime to to like share that whole burden with um, and that's really nice as well did you both find yourselves eager to do it not just in the encores run, but in a more long-term, uh, you know, kind of a longer-term run, like the one you have now. Was it something that you both found yourself interested in living with um, to uh, living with longer than you had the opportunity to with encores? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, I wasn't. In t I was. I would say, like, on the edge when it came mm -hmm. to City Center for the reasons I was just saying in terms of yeah. the, the subject matter. But then, as soon as I got back in the room with Michael and with the with the company, and most of all with Michaela, and started doing it. I was like, we could probably do this together for a while. <laughs> yeah. 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 We find the, we find the um, hope and love in it. And we kind of end in that place in a way too, which is kind of um, nice uh, and relieving. Mm. Um, and I think that Michael really created a, a really safe space for us um, to, uh, to like, feel the things that we need to feel and um, be honest with each other about them. I mean, there were times when we would start rehearsals and just talk for an hour and a half, just like about the show or not about the show or feelings that are coming up outside of the show because of the show. I mean, there were so many um, beautiful moments of sharing. And I think the more kind of vulnerability that was brought into the space, the more we were able to tell the story and it was actually easier. You've both sort of alluded to this uh, a little bit already, but I wonder if you could just tell me a little bit about what you feel is particularly timely about Parade and its themes. It is hitting now in a way that, um, you know, it, it hit in a different way in 1998 or in 2007 with the Donmar production. What feels particularly vital about uh, hearing this story right now? You know, we're we're Jews, and <laughs> in case we didn't mention, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I think anti-Semitism is never not relevant, particularly when you're a Jewish person. But I think that there is a definite uh, kind of shadows lifting kind of a feeling happening of late in terms of like it's really not only up on an uprise in a literal sense where the you know acts of anti-Semitism and the rhetoric is coming back around as it always does, but the the, the public uh, nature of that is is pretty uh, unprecedented. And so I think, you know, there's been a handful of events and just kind of a, a, a moment in general that have made it feel like 
something really to be looked at and discussed in a way where people are really ready to hear and receive it. And I think, as you said, we're really feeling in our audiences in a way that we gather wasn't necessarily the case in 98, such a willingness and openness to hear that story and to hear about that very American conversation. You know, I think what sets this apart is that it's really about American anti-Semitism and how insidious that is. And obviously there are lots of wonderful, beautiful stories like Leopoldstadt and, you know, the Diary of Anne Frank and so many important pieces about European Jewry and, and anti-Semitism and, and sort of the Holocaust. And I think it's it's rare to get a story that really centers particularly the way that that has con gone down in, in America and in the South. And so I think it's really meeting that moment um, particularly well. And the magical thing about Michael Arden, as we sort of said, is that even if that weren't the case, you know, the whole reason for a revival and to, for a great revival is to reinvigorate and reconceive and, and reimagine. And so he has done that in a way that's artistically so valuable on its own, but on top of that is really getting that particular urgent message across in a, in a really specific way to right now. I second all of that. And I think too that Parade really has so, um, kind of has layered storytelling in which we can frame how anti-Semitism and racism are integrally linked. Mm -hmm. And I think how white people are incentivized to and rewarded in, in pitting minorities against each other um, and using racism as kind of a tool to distract the white majority. And, and I think that, you know, especially with Lucille, she really, she really has assimilated into the South at the start of this play and feels safe there as a white passing Jew. Um, and then really has to reckon with the fact that, you know, she is not, she is, she is, you know, very much Jewish and, and her husband will die because of it. Um, and so I think, you know, sometimes I use the Holocaust as an example here, which can get tiring, but I think sometimes people think the Holocaust was, you know, an act of religious intolerance, but no one really cared if anybody in the gas chambers was going to temple or not. They were just in a gas chamber. So like with this story, it, it's similar. It's like no one, you know, they were going to temple, but it didn't, it didn't matter how Jewish you were, they were Jewish. And that is why he was um, made to be, you know, the murderer of Mary Fagan. Um, and I also think that Michael has done a beautiful job in setting up the show in this place of like, this is about the losers of the civil war and what they did with their rage. Um, we kind of go from before the show even starts and then we end in a place where you're seeing, you know, teenagers present day in the South clicking beer bottles together. So we kind of go through all of it and it's like, how does this trauma affect people? Like, you know, it's, there's so many moments in theater that have, that have really like, monumentally changed the way I thought about these things. We are, we have to be carefully taught as one of them. Like parade has been one of those pieces for me in which I just think about my own Judaism differently. Um, and yeah, I'm grateful for that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. There was uh, the show of course made uh, headlines in its first preview. There was a demonstration by neo-Nazis that um, I only heard about. Did uh, either of you see evidence of that? We were at half hour, yeah. so we were kind of told right before people started 
entering the theater. Um, but our choreographers, our whole audience was out there kind of experiencing yeah. the demonstration, um, the hate speech. Um, but it's it was scary and also incredibly um galvanizing uh, inspiring yeah. to re- galvanizing to remember why we're doing the piece yeah and totally. at the same first place. go ahead ben please no she she said yeah. she said it right and i would just say that it's like it was obviously very you know a reminder as she said about why we're doing this particular piece but also just the predictability and familiarity of the language of the hateful language in regards to pedophilia and grooming that was being used we're seeing it once again, you know, with the trans community, it's like such a kind of fallback go-to scapegoating tactic that I think we just all need to really have our our antennas up and know, you know, that it's that it's BS, uh, both in regards to this anti-Semitic conversation and in regards to the trans community, whoever's being scapegoated by, by white supremacists. Um, and it was just, yeah, again, the, the urgency was loud and clear. Yeah. At the same time, the show feels also very supported by uh, the audience. You know, there was it was so popular that when it first tickets first went on sale, Telecharge broke for a second. Like it was a <laughs> it was a whole thing. So I uh, you alluded to this a little bit, Ben, but do you feel that in the audience as well? The the people that um, come into the show? Absolutely. I mean, I feel so. Firstly, just fortunate that like I'm having the opportunity to return to the theater at all, and then on top of that, people who are coming to see it no matter what walk of life they're coming from or the reason that they're walking into the building, it's such a worthy piece to see. So it's, there's just nobody across the board, except for maybe small children who I would say couldn't benefit from seeing this. Um, and I think we expected and we feel the love from the Jewish community and the Jewish theater goers. And of course there are certain jokes and Yiddish words and things that get special laughter when there are more Jews in the audience. But for me, this, the, the kind of more special and, I guess surprising, but just like nicely surprising thing is how, you know, non-Jews are being affected by the piece and how um, visceral and affecting it still is for them, even though they're not necessarily specifically the ones being represented. I think it's a conversation that everybody can find a way to relate to and that is relevant to all of us as Americans. And um, I just love seeing those those um, Gentiles support and understand and receive just as heartily as the Jews. And I will say just because Ben is beyond humble, but um, Ben is also just bringing an entirely new group to the theater too this time around, which is kind of monumental in its own way, Um, especially for a story like this. I think it's like, it's kind of game changing. Um, And that's really rewarding to kind of have you know, people who liked his album or has have seen his movies or whatever, all of a sudden be galvanized to go to see the theater to probably a piece that they don't know what it's about. And then they come and they're like, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but that's kind of the beauty of art is like, we can kind of have our hands in many different pots. And then all of a sudden you're, you know, watching a piece that may change your opinion on something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, over the course of the story, uh, Leo Frank is imprisoned, and uh, Ben, you spent the intermission on stage. Um, how did that come about, and how excited or not excited were you <laughs> to do that every night? <laughs> um, it, it was, of course, our director, Michael Arden's concept, as is every choice in the show. Um, and when he initially pitched his idea for the show to me, he had a number of 
the things that are now in the production already, of course, very clearly in, envisioned and mapped out the the kind of courtroom setting and design and the element of all of us witnessing the story together and um you know the the projections and the real life facts and photos and among those initial conceptual ideas he said and I also think that you're going to stay on stage for the intermission I think we need to see you the reality of you being incarcerated and sort of the inability to disengage with that um and he said there's something about you know the the comfort and sort of leisure of a of a proper intermission where the show completely comes to a halt and everybody um gets to really fully take themselves out uh and regroup and come back in um while there are still plenty of people that mostly just do do that um which is a perfectly valid reaction and, and way to behave i do think it creates a dialogue with with the audience of how how willing you are to completely disengage and um, it just keeps this kind of looming reality um, through line so that the story thread is never really fully dropped. And then in terms of the character and my own experience, I think it's a lot about paying homage to Leo the man because there is a lot of, as we've been discussing, big ideas and symbolism and martyrdom and just lots of big things discussed and lots of things that these characters stand for. But at the end of the day, this was a man and he spent the last two years of his life alone, uh, save for some visits from his wife. So I think it's the one moment in an otherwise really kinetic and propulsive production where you have an opportunity to just sit very literally with that idea and with that inescapability of that. Um, and um, I don't necessarily adore doing it every day. I mean, I would love to go and have a little break and pee, but I think it's, um, certainly certainly worth it artistically and i you know i'm i am very much obliged to carry out michael's vision because i think he's really really brilliant so um you know i found i find my way through it in different ways and and i think it's a great component yeah, yeah. you're both in parade for now but do you know what is coming up next for either of you michaela do you have anything on your plate that uh we should know about um um, no, yes, but not going to tell okay, you. Great. Stay, stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned. Excellent, excellent. Um, and what about for you, Ben? Anything uh, we need to look um, out for? I have my film that I wrote and, and produced with my partner Noah and our two best yeah. friends Molly Gordon and Nick Lieberman. It's called Theater Camp, and it comes out July fourteenth in theaters mm -hmm. for Searchlight. Really, really funny. Very different tone than Parade. Really, mm -hmm. uh, uh, really funny. Sort of Christopher Guestian mockumentary. Um, and uh, I'm working on another solo record and nice. uh, the Merrily Roll Along film is always, always in the process. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and that's it for now. And speaking of theater camp, you both went to the same theater program. Is that right? Did I, did I hear that right? Um, it's this place called Kids Theater in New York. Mm. And um, I was very young when I did it and um, kind of just missed Ben mm. as he did Les Mis there. Mm right before his life kind of blew up um, doing Dear Evan Hansen. Um, and, uh, and I did many, many shows there mm. throughout my whole kind of formative years and childhood. Um, but we both kind of have mutual friends from that experience and, and adore them. Right. But you, the first time you met was in that reading, was that first reading of Parade, is that right? Yes, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, what are you both most looking forward to on Tony Night? whoa you <laughs> um i mean my mom's my date i can't wait to um 
like hold hands with her the whole night. I think that that's such a, I'm so grateful that it's happening in her lifetime. And um, it's kind of always been us against the world. I have a single mom and I'm an only child. So um, uh, I'm grateful to be able to share that experience with someone who's kind of hustled for me her entire life. Um, so that will be really fun. And I think also just um, to celebrate with Ben and to know that we're kind of in it together. Um, you know, as, as we, as Ben said, we both have partners and adore each other and kind of hang out even on Mondays sometimes. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's good. We're excited. Yeah. yeah I, I'm very excited to have this, this time to have the opportunity, of course, to share with Michaela, but also to share with my fiance Noah and to go together. You know, I grew up watching the Tonys obviously religiously and dreamed of being on them. And, uh, some of the first like really m important queer representation I ever saw uh, was on um, the Tonys and particularly and very specifically when nominees would be shown and they would be a lot of nominees with their partners and they would show affection to each other. And, uh, you know, that's a small thing. It's a small moment, but I, it stuck with me so very much. And so to get to be that representation with Noah, who I love uh, in that moment is kind of worth the whole thing, whatever goes down. Um, so I'm most excited for that and to hopefully TBD perform something and that is it. Right. Well, congratulations again to you both. And uh, we will see you at the ceremony in June. Thank you both. Thanks for thanks for being here with me. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. That was Michaela Diamond and Ben Platt, both nominated for Tony Awards for their starring roles in Parade, now on Broadway at the Jacobs Theatre. If you enjoyed this conversation and others we've had here on StageCraft, I'd be so grateful if you took the time to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps. Or tell a friend about StageCraft. Find past episodes and subscribe at all the places you get your pods, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on the Broadway Podcast Network, a great place to find more theater for your ears. Until next episode, find me on Twitter at GCoxVariety. Thanks for listening, and see you at the theater. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.